Okay, so have any of you um, even heard of Bob Goff? Do you know anything about him? So I have my note cards. Don't mind me. I'll use my note cards. This, he has, um, for those of you who've been to other of my book reviews, <laughs> I try to keep them short, but this one, he has 23 chapters, and so I have a lot of note cards because he has so many great stories. Let me tell you who he is. I'm just going to read from the back because he's so amazing. He wrote, as I mentioned in my prayer, uh, Love Does, and then this is the follow-up to Love Does. He actually wrote a second book that was stolen out of his, on his laptop. He, everything was stolen, his ID, his laptop, so he said, this is actually my third book, but um, it's his second actually published book. Um, he's the founder of Love Does, which is the name of his book, but then he did all the proceeds to go from Love Does to um, start this nonprofit organization called Love Does that operates schools and safe houses and pursues justice for women and children in conflict areas such as Uganda, Somalia, and Iraq. Bob is a lawyer and serves as the honorary consul for the Republic of Uganda in the United States, to the United States. He has an he is an adjunct professor at Pepperdine, Pepperdine Law School and Point Loma Nazarene University and lives in San Diego. He refers to his wife as Sweet Maria all the time, so to uh, Sweet Maria near their adult kids and growing family. And he refers to his kids throughout, and his Sweet Maria, like throughout the whole book. It's so cute and so sweet. He tells a lot of stories. Obviously, I won't be able to get to all the details in his stories. He has a really unique and funny way I think it's really funny and witty the way he writes all of his stories are so clever and witty um, and sometimes sarcastic it's really funny and he uses a little bit a little bit of self-deprecating humor which I don't always love but in this it's kind of cute he'll say things that are just funny so I won't obviously be able to name all of those funny nuances if you're interested definitely check out the book but hopefully this will give you the main overarching um, purpose of his book, which is kind of the purpose of this verse. Love does, and it's everybody always. We're called to love everybody always and be like Jesus in that he loved everybody always, not just um, some people or the people that are in your holy huddle that are easy to love and that are friendly and that are easy to um, be around, but also the creepy people and the hard to love people. And often the people that are the hardest to love are those who need it the most. And so it's interesting because he calls us to love throughout the entire book. And a lot of it is through stories and people he's met. And um, that's actually chapter one, which is creepy people. So let's get started with that. Um, he, God wants us to love everybody always, not just people, um, like I said, that are easy to love, but also to the people that are in our area. Like we need to love all the people that are in our area too, but there are people that we're avoiding or there are people that we've broke, broken contact with or lost contact with. He has a caveat, of course, for us to use judgment. And I love the way he says it. He says, use your judgment don't live in judgment. Mm -hmm. And I love that because he says, of course, you should have a wide berth for some people. There are some people that are just absolutely toxic or um, physically or mentally abusive and things like that. He's not calling us to be around these people. We're supposed to still love them. We don't have to love their behavior and we don't have to surround ourselves with them. We have to make boundaries, no doubt. He says the caveat in the very beginning because of course that's everyone's like, well, that I can't. Ugh. No, we can still love these people. And um, one thing I learned in 
through my journey is that we can love people. We don't have to love the behavior. So that's a great boundary for me because I think it takes a lot of guilt and shame out of sometimes when you're setting boundaries for yourself. You can say, because I think when we set boundaries, sometimes we feel guilty. Well, oh my gosh, that's my mom or that's my sister. I should love her. We do love her. I love you. I hate that behavior. Or I love you. I'm not willing to accept unacceptable behavior. Things like that. So setting things in yourself too and even making that clear to this person. I think that's a great way to even... Um, communicate to our kids or to our siblings or to our husbands when for instance you can reassure them I love you but I'm not willing to accept unacceptable behavior that's very clear that you're not saying I hate you you know what I mean I hate it when you do that things like that it's like no no no. people shouldn't feel that from us they should feel loved he gives that caveat of course and then goes straight back into like what about the creepy people what about everybody else there are people that jesus ran around around with that were sinners and um criminals and prostitutes and everything he ate dinner with them he sat down with them he loved them he went out to them and he brought them also home. People were in and out of homes all the time. That's one reason it's so special, you know, you guys here today. It's just so interesting the way God connects us and where we're, and we're called to do that. We're called to go out of our way to love these people. Have a moment, have an extra time for people that are hard to understand or difficult to love. Don't lose your way trying to help people find theirs, which I love. It's like, oh, wow. We're not called to fix people. If someone is, say, creepy or doing something that you don't like or you don't agree with or that's downright wrong and you know it's wrong, that's okay. Your job is not actually to fix them or to even police them. No one named you the sheriff. No one named you the judge. You're not supposed to fix it or correct it. And I love that he points that out because even if they're doing something that's maybe wrong, if it's not... a like I said, you can set a boundary, that's one thing, but say somebody that's just doing something, they probably just need love, and he talks about that a lot. It's just that you need to probably just be loving them that often that will bring them, that will show Jesus to them because sometimes in our, in our way of objecting to what they're doing or trying to talk them out of it or trying to correct them, that puts up a big barrier to what you could be showing them, which is love, which is what we're called to be and he calls it becoming love which I love I've never really thought of that much before this book I always thought of it as being kind and being loving but not becoming love like you're actually just radiating love and vibrating on that frequency you are actually becoming love through and through unconditional love you're freely giving and receiving all of this love no matter who it is it's unconditional and that's what we're called to do that's how God loves us he loves us. We still have consequences for bad behavior or our free will. That doesn't interfere with his love for us. So I think that's really important that we remember We remember that. That, um, that it's our own fear and security that would get in the way of us loving someone and not trying to correct their behavior. So I love that he points that out. Don't lose your way trying to help people find theirs. You may be known for your opinions, but you'll be remembered by your love. Isn't that good? So like, yeah, you had all these lofty opinions and you were so right. And it's very, you can get lost in sometimes being legalist, legalistic as well. Someone wise told me, and I love this, it stuck with me, but that truth spoken without love is, first of all, it can be abusive, but not to, it, it's legalism. 
but that love spoken without truth can be enabling like the new age movement kind of I'm not trying to bash that but I'm saying the new in other words that there's wheels off anything is acceptable that there's still behavior if someone is asking you or there's still rules and guidelines in the Bible God helps us with these things the commandments all these things it's not just wheels off it's a free-for-all but it's that in these parameters those are built for us to thrive and to be successful and to be happy and to be safe just like parents would give kids boundaries and um, a fence you know so they don't run out in the middle of the street they don't understand i want to go through the fence but you're saying no 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 you can't those are different than um, just you know so you're doing it out of love so it's not does that make sense i guess i kind of went around but um He'll be remembered for your love. I love that. It's not just your opinions and your objections to their lifestyle. <laughs> You're so creepy or whatever. Um, so anyway, uh, like I said, you'll block them by your opinions. Um, go out. He challenges us at the end of this chapter is to go out and find someone that you've been avoiding and pursue them in love. Try to make amends when you can. Try to go out of your way to forgive people that you uh, maybe it's time to forgive them reckless love is kind of what you might have heard that song and I love it but it's a call for our life to go out love others we actually have to go out and do it and also let people in but anyway I love that just be reckless go ahead no one ever said it would be easy but he said it would work and I love that love wins that's why I chose that song is because it won't be easy. It's not saying that, that God didn't say it would be easy in his words here. He said it would work. Jesus calls us to love him, love our neighbor, and love our enemies. Even the creepies is the way he ends it. I think that's really cute. Um, meeting Carol. So he talks about this woman named Carol in two chapters. And Carol is... Uh, not Sweet Maria, but Sweet Maria is his wife, and he refers to her a lot. And he and Sweet Maria moved six times in the first 10 years they were married. They moved, they flipped houses, they would buy, like, resell houses. You know what, at the courthouse when you can buy a house for, what's that called? Auction. Auction, like the foreclosure. Mm -hmm. They would go in and buy these. He said that they almost got kicked out by the rats in the first one. Like, he said it was just absolutely terrible. And he has a funny way of talking about how disgusting and the roaches and whatever. It's... It's really funny. Yeah. He was like, the rats almost turned us into uh, CPS or whatever. I mean, it's just funny because he's, or not CPS because they didn't have kids yet, but you get what I'm saying. And he's just really funny. He was going on and on that he lived in the mobile, he, uh, they rented an RV and lived out in the driveway first for the first year while they renovated it. Anyway, this long story is really cute. And then they ended up flipping that one, moved into the next one, slowly started building in the first 10 years. Well, then one day he wakes up and Sweet Maria says, I want to move. And he was just like, waited for an awkward silence. And he was like, will you take me with you? You know, he just has this cute personality. And, she, and he said, back when we first got married, I told her, if she ever leaves me, the deal is you have to take me with you. <laughs> this thing is so cute. And so they decided they were going to buy the house across the street. And they moved everything on skateboards and uh, wagons. And you can imagine this family is just sounds like the cutest things ever. They moved across the street with their three kids. And he said, when you do um, business, you do business with people. Um, let me read it. You do business with 
buyers that's the word you do business with buyers but you do life with neighbors so we wanted to interview they interviewed everybody that wanted to come and buy their house they had I think seven people that were like we want to buy they interviewed everyone as a family and they unanimously decided that they wanted Carol to be their neighbor across the street neighbor I mean I have goosebumps this is just so cute she was a widow, and in the Bible it tells us to take care of the orphaned, take care of the widows, take care of our neighbors, love your neighbor, all these things. So he became, they became just family to Carol. They absolutely fell in love with her. She's about 50, 55. The kids went over for years and years. They showed her all of their school projects. She always made them cookies. She always was like, oh, to their stories, you know, like, I caught a frog today. Tell me about the frog. Tell me again about the frog. You know, there's one of those sweet ladies that you just, the best neighbor ever. And they said she, even, she watched the kids grow up. And even when their son Richard got married in their backyard, uh, Carol sat next to them in the, with the parents. Like that's how, with Bob and sweet Maria. I mean, how cute is that? So they, needless to say, absolutely loved Carol. And um, she ended up, uh, they would call and check on her like once or twice a week. He would always call and they were short, funny, just checking on you, Carol, how are you? And one day he called and she sounded very serious. And she's like, hi, Bob. And he's like, what's going on? What's wrong? And she's like, I just left the doctor and it's not good. I have cancer. And he was like, we'll be right there. And so they came over and cheered her up and everything. And he had gone to the store and bought walkie talkies and he gave her one and he kept the other and just said, anytime you need me, I'm just right away. So they would always buzz and they became just even cuter friends through the years that he was, she was not through the years, but this time of her cancer, her battle with cancer. And they would just walkie talkie and he would check on her, Carol, is that you? And she would, Bob, is that you? And you can see these little, just, it was adorable. And he just told her, do not be afraid. That's one of the biggest things. Those are the three words that stand out to him the most in the Bible is be not afraid. And he uses it a lot throughout his book. The way we love others, but also the way you're dealing with cancer, the way you're dealing with, I mean, anything you're going through, be not afraid. It says it over 300 times in the Bible, be not afraid. It's just so, it's so exciting and liberating. What would happen if we just lived our life without fear? Don't let fear call the shots. It gives you this quiet confidence, but also a contagious hope. And he said that's what he was hoping to give to her, but also when you live like that, that, that it, it gave her so much hope and freedom to love and just ha have fun. This brings us to chapter three, love everybody always. He talks about being born with a purpose and not a plan. And I love that. Quit looking for your plan. Keep focusing on your purpose. Why are you here? What is your purpose? Not what is the plan? He says, throw off the, the plan. There is no plan. The plan is to go out and just love everybody, <laughs> which I think is so cute. He says, stop waiting for a plan and just go love everybody. That's his exact quote, which I think is just so cute. And it doesn't have to be so calculated. I think that sometimes we don't realize we're being um, conditional when we are, or we're trying to make sure that somebody, it's almost feeding like their ego or feeding my ego, but the ego is when we edge God out. Like what if you just go out and love everybody with no ego, with no return, with no, you're not doing, one of my favorite quotes is, um, it says, what if, or never, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Now look what happens with a love like 
like that. It lights the whole sky. It's like, oh, it's so cute. It does just light the whole sky. So think of if you could just light this person's world up, their whole little earth by being pure sunshine. No one expects you to love flawlessly, but we can love fearlessly, furiously, and unreasonably. Like in other words, a lot of the things we do, it's unreasonable or it's countercultural or it's counterintuitive. Anything in you, the culture around us would say, oh my gosh, like do not love them or it doesn't matter what the world says. It matters what God says in our heart. It matters that that's what we're doing. We're here not to just be members of the kingdom of heaven, but to advance the kingdom of heaven. We're not supposed to be here just gathered around here learning about the gospel and learning how to love, but we're actually called to go do it. A Bible doing rather than a Bible study. Not that this necessarily is, but like when we're, we do go to Bible studies, what are we doing afterwards? to make sure that our actions are actually, that's why he's love does. <laughs> it actually goes out. It love does, right? Each of us is surrounded by neighbors every day. And he talks about neighbor just not being necessarily my next door neighbor. But of course, we've all heard this, right? Our neighbor is everybody. Our neighbor is even the neighboring countries or the neighboring states or the neighboring, like everybody we meet at the grocery store, everybody we meet in kid drop off, everybody we meet in at the gym, everybody we meet, that's our neighbor, everyone around us. We're all brothers and sisters. And that's what she says in that song too. We're brothers and sisters. I love that. We're all created from the same source. So why not just recognize that when I love others, it actually helps my entire, that's quantum entanglement, right? It helps my entire world view and it helps my entire world when I'm putting love out there that's a higher frequency that means we're all functioning and radiating on a higher frequency that we're all we're leveling everybody up up because as the tide rises all boats rise is that the right saying what's the saying anyway but you get it right when the tide rises it's just awesome because my act of love for you and you and you it's it, it helps all of us what um what often stops us from loving our neighbor is fear. And we talked about that earlier, but fear, what will happen if we love them? What if I go out and I forgive my father for what he did? What if I um, reach out to my sister, even though she treated me so bad? What if I do forgive that person or choose to love that person at the grocery store that's giving me such creeps? What if I'm nice to them just for a second? Because it's easy to be rushed away or think like, I don't have time, or they're kind of getting on my nerves, or they're grading my, like, what is that bringing out in you? So noticing that, and then just thinking, what if I could just be patient just for a second, listen, and be like, I hope you have a great day, and show some love, and then leave. Rather than being hasty with them and brushing them off, I think that that confirms somewhere in somebody it could, not that we have control over others and what they think, but I just mean, what if we could confirm something like, you are loved and you are worthy, rather than, you're terrible and annoying and I don't have time for you. You know what I mean? Why not just try to help someone feel like loved? Um, he says, why not throw your neighbors a parade? He's all about balloons, which is why on his first book, it's him with balloons, if you remember, um, or if you've ever seen any of his pictures, his Instagram is also balloons, everything. It's him usually riding a little bike with balloons. He's so funny. He says he takes balloons everywhere, to the doctor's office, to every, he says balloons are the universal uh, sign of love and congratulations and happy things. So he says he brings balloons with him everywhere. And um, he throws this parade for t now 22 years. Over 22 years, he's been throwing this New Year's Day parade. And he just throws it for his 
neighborhood. So in the little cul-de-sac, he said, and we started off with seven or eight people and it's grown to where now every year they, they have like over seven or 800 people that come and they threw Carol this huge parade and they named someone a queen every year. So they named Carol the queen one year and still, he said people at the grocery store would still bow to her (laughs) (laughs) and Carol was like, you know, famous and they took her around and she was getting really sick and he just prayed, God, will you just let my friend live one more year, one more parade? And seven months later, she was really going downhill. She wasn't going to make it much longer. They told her, go home, prepare to die. This is it. And um, she made it to the, the next parade and she died that week but they all they changed the route of the parade they went through her house and they all gave her hugs and balloons and roses and they made it he said she got to have two parties that week the parade and also her funeral I guess and he said Jesus came down and took her up to heaven and it was like a really sweet story the way he said it but he goes that's what we do for our neighbors we make them feel loved we make them feel special and I just think that is so heartwarming um also too there's just so many funny stories the way he did it throughout I mean can you imagine like on her walkie-talkie she's like Bob I really want a hot dog I'm just craving he was like okay and he went and got the hot dog and sweet Maria made it like it's a big honking hot dog and they fed it to her one teaspoon at a time I mean she couldn't she barely had eaten she had lost all of her weight he was like what's your bucket bucket list what's the last thing we can have you do she's like the only thing I haven't done is I haven't ever toilet papered a house. And here she is, frail as can be, dying of cancer. And he goes, man, she had an arm. And she was toilet papering their neighbor's house. The cops roll up and they're like, hey, you know, like this is a, you know, we're going to, he was like, it was Carol's idea. And he, you know, he finally, they got the gist of it that she was in her last probably days, which she was. And um, they let her go and she, they made jokes of how, funny it would be that she would be in prison I mean just stuff like that just being funny and laughing it seems like he just has such a great sense of humor um and that's how I think we could be with our neighbors too be lighthearted, be loving if they want a hot dog bring them a hot dog throw them a parade you know things like that so I love that um the next chapter he talks about the yellow truck I, in an hour and a half there's no way I can tell about all these stories but I'll make it short the yellow truck is the truck he got after law school his dad he bought this yellow truck from his dad and his dad said don't forget you'll want to change the oil and he was just like you know that like really grates his nerves and he was just like my dad's always telling me what to do like I'm a grown man now I just graduated law school I don't I don't want to change the oil and sometimes he says telling people what they want rather than telling people who they are is so counterproductive because often they rebel against that and He says, don't tell people what they want. Tell them who they are. Something more productive would have been like, you're really responsible. You are, it's not passive aggressive, but it's like, you are brave. You are courageous. You are going to be an awesome lawyer. You're successful. You're, you're going to take good care of your family. Things like that that are empowering rather than you'll want to check the oil. So he never did. It was like 1200 or 120 thousand miles or something. And it had like white smoke billowing out. He couldn't lock it. He didn't take care of this truck. Ended up, uh, a homeless man would sleep in it every day while he was in the office. He would get out and change, change, uh, you know, like, he would get out and the other guy would get in. I mean, hilarious, right? Just crazy. He was like, he just came up to it once and this homeless guy was sleeping in his truck. It was like a cold day. Anyway, he was like, knock, knock. He's like, can I take you somewhere? He's like, no thanks. And they changed. Anyway, all this time, then one day after months and months of trading out with this homeless guy, the guy completely trashed there were beer bottles there were and he was gone and never saw his friend again he was like it's so sad we never said 
anything. But we had this arrangement, we had this guilt, but that's what shame does, is it makes people leave, it makes people hide, it makes people run. But what you want to do is run back to God, not run away from God. You don't have to say all these words. Often there are no words for that, we know, but love would cover all of that up. The prodigal son, he ran back to the father, went back to God. You know, remember that, that whenever you're full of shame and stuff, you don't have to run away and hide, but you can come back to the father and he will forgive you. And, and love can cover a multitude of sins. Uh, also, too, that he, um, he said about how many things God said. God said to Moses, you are a leader. He didn't say, you, like, and he said to Sarah, you are a mother. He said to Abraham, you are a father. You will father many nations, right? You, to Noah, you are a sailor. You are going to build this boat. Things like that. It's just exciting because the other is controlling them or trying to control them. And that usually they rebel. And one last thing about the yellow truck is it eventually got stolen <laughs> out of his. And he was just like, of course it did. Because it didn't have locks, it didn't, it wasn't even running. And two weeks later, they found it, and he was like, I don't even want it anymore. I mean, it's just so far gone. He had to learn a lot that that was the dumbest thing. But he said, control teaches people how to be, teaches people new ways to be dumb. He goes, I came up with so many reasons why I wasn't going to change the oil, why I wasn't going to fix this. In my head, I knew that was rebelling. I knew that was stupid. That was sabotaging. But it taught me. It was. That's how far people will go sometimes to rebel against what you're saying and to just not do what especially I think for us to hear that as parents is tell them who they are not what they want or what they um, should do or control then he talks about a limb am I moving too fast you okay you need a break okay um limo driver he talks about this limo driver that he got invited to come talk at in Florida at or in Orlando at a Disney is it world or land Disney World. So he got invited and he was just like, Disney World, I'm there. He talks about Disney World a lot throughout his book. It's like his favorite place. And he, the best place ever. Yeah. And so yeah. Disney World, he is like, really? Talk there? Okay, I'm in. So he's going and he fl flew in and he was just going to go catch it. He goes, I'm a yellow cab guy. And here's a sign saying Bob. And he was like, well, that's interesting. And it says Bob Goff. And he's like, oh. And he thought, well, heck. If somebody spent the money, paid the cash, I'm going to take a limo for the first time. They have a limo. They sent me a limo. I'm taking it. So he tells this limo driver, he's like, I'm Bob. And he's like, and who are you? And he's like, just Bob. Like, in other words, he was hoping he would say, I invented medicine or something. But he's like, just Bob. Let's go have fun. He's like, okay. And he says that he got to know the limo driver. He was talking to him, tell me about your wife or your kids or whatever. And he was... He said he didn't judge anything he was doing. Some of the, like he was living out of wedlock for 10 years with his girlfriend and stuff like that. But instead, he was just loving this guy and having fun getting to know him. He, he, this guy must be a total nut. I mean, he's like rolling down the window, putting his head out. I mean, just having a ball. And finally, he's like, hey, you're about to retire anyway. Have you ever ridden in the back of these? He's like, no, get fired. He's like, well, you're about to retire. Just get back here. So they get out. They switch. He puts the limo cap on. And he's driving him the rest of the way. He's like, are you having a blast? And he's <laughs> like, just having a ball. And he was like, when I went home and I told Sweet Maria all about it, the point was not that I told him about Jesus or that I told him about God or that I told him that maybe his sinful life, he could rebuke his sinful life or whatever. He's like, no, I went, I just showed him mad, crazy love. I just loved on him and had a blast with him. We just 
partied the whole way to Disneyland. And I think that that's the way we're representing God's kingdom is through love and through that probably made more of an impact on him is his point than than saying he was bad for his sins and things like that. He also, at the end, gave him, he carries medals with him everywhere. Like, can you imagine these little, uh, what's that called? Little medal. And he put it, he, after he got out and he gave him his limo cap back and he gave him a medal and he told him all these things he was. You're brave and you're wonderful and you're a great man and you're the best limo driver. I mean, just going on, just telling him who he was, just making the guy feel like a million bucks. So remember that to speak truth and affirmation over people with a smile, people don't grow where they are informed. People grow where they're loved and accepted. And I love that. I think that's so special to remember that he made this, feel, this guy feel loved and accepted. He probably grew a lot that day. If he felt, um, what's that word when you feel? Condemned. When you feel condemned and you feel like, oh my gosh, um, now I'm informed that that's a sin or something like that, that it's simple. Uh, people, he, he said, people need to, well, I want us, his hope for us, he says, another call at the end of his chapter is, I want people to meet, meet you and me and feel like they've just met Jesus. Mm. And I think that's really sweet. Becoming Jesus, becoming like Jesus, becoming love. Bring heaven to earth. And we're called to do that, of course. That's in our prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. And it says, as on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to bring heaven to earth with our actions, with our love. With our smiles. (laughs) He then talks about skydiving. Um... Emmanuel means God with us. So God sent his son to be with us, to live in the human experience with us and to be with us. And then, then Jesus left and he said, but I'm sending you something greater than me. I'm sending you then the Holy Spirit to be with you always. So I love that because he talks about with a lot throughout his book and that God is with us. And that's one of my favorite words now. I feel like I see it all the time. It's like God is with us throughout Bibles. I mean, throughout the Bible or throughout books, things like that, how God is always with us. It's such a comforting feeling. And he said, I guess having kids teaches you a lot about God because God wants to be with us all the time. He has one son that is really into adventure. And he, was, he started skydiving. He's like, I want to skydive. He's like, wow. Okay. And so he started going with him to these practices and watching him jump. And he'd be like, pull, pull, you know, pull the, what's that called? Anyway. And, um, just so funny because it's called actually, but anyway, um, I wrote a chord. Yeah. Yes. I thought I wrote it down. And then one day he was like, you know what? This is different. I'm here. I'm cheering him on, but I'm, I want to be actually in the action with him. Wouldn't that feel special as a from father son to go actually out there with him? (laughs) So he surprised him. He started taking lessons while he was at school all day, and he got out one day and he threw on his backpack and he's like, "We're ready." And he's like, "Dad, what are you doing?" He was like, "I'm jumping with you this time," and he jumped out and they started, you know, doing these jumps together. Then and he goes, "That's what God does: is he jumps out of heaven to earth with his kids." Isn't that cute? And he just says, that's how it is. Is Don't get to know exactly what people are interested in. Don't just wonder, 
about them. Don't just learn facts about them, but like, why not be part of their life and be with them in it? Learn with them. Go make some pottery or go, you know, do all these fun things. Learn how to cook or bake with your friends or projects. Things like that where you're actually with somebody and you're not just asking them how they're doing, but maybe come over and help them. Like some friends going through a really hard time. Instead of saying, I'm here for you. Some people take that as a little bit of like, um, almost like, ugh, I feel so alone. And that confirms it. Like, it's hard for people to reach out and say, I am losing it. My husband is traveling. My kids haven't had a bath. I can't make, I haven't made dinner in two weeks. I'm going through the hardest time ever. Can you come over and just make dinner? We haven't even had a wholesome dinner. You know what I mean? But like when you recognize something, like somebody's going through something really hard or it's like, hey, what are you, have the kids eaten? Let me come over and just make dinner. That's being with people. That's loving your community. That's being a good neighbor. That's that love of God with us. How can you be with your friends rather than just learning about them or knowing what they're going through? How can you go through it with them? Because we grow through what we go through. And we really need a community. We need each other. Uh, He talked about being present, of course. And um, not just being with them, but being present. I like that too. Of course, there is a difference. And he does point that out, which of course, um, I think we all need to remember that this day and age with our phones too. Um, I know that sometimes husbands, wives... Um, kids, it's hard, I think, to always be present, but at some times throughout the day, try to really engage. Look at somebody in the eyes, um, sit down with them, be present, try to listen more than we speak. We have two ears, one mouth, you know, just love them. Be loving and kind. A day at the museum, chapter seven. A day at the museum. He loves the wax museum. He's been to like every single one in all the whole world. <laughs> He's so funny. He says, it doesn't matter what our faith looks like, it matters what it is. So these wax museums, have you ever been to one? So the Mac, they, I guess they make these people that are out of wax and they make them look real, like, but they're wax and they paint them and they make, it looks so real. So he takes his kids, they had some extra time, they were in DC and he was like, have you ever been to the wax museum? No, would you like to go? Yeah, so they go and he, he sounds like a total ham, but he gets up and they're like, dad, act your age. He's like, I am. (laughs) And he gets up and he like poses next to like George Washington and whoever. And he's like posing and these ladies come up and they're like touching him and wow, he looks real. And he was like, oh my gosh, I couldn't move because I'm a lawyer and I realized they probably could have sued me and taken my whole house if I gave them a stroke. So he's like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just like acting just cool. And he said, my kids ran for the exit door. They were so scared. (laughs) Anyway, and he said, he realized after that that he was a really good poser. And it really opened up a lot about him for his life and his faith. Am I posing to have a good faith? Am I putting on a really good show for everyone around me? I look like I'm a really loving guy and I look like I'm a good, caring guy, but am I truly doing it without an audience or without um, putting on a, a facade? Understanding your motives too. And I think that that's really important. So it doesn't matter what your faith looks like. It matters what it truly is. And you and God know the truth. You know the truth. You know why you're doing something. You know if it's conditional or unconditional. You know you do know the truth. And I think that sitting down and letting the Holy Spirit guide you and asking for guidance on that and also repenting. So say, God, please forgive me because that was totally calculated or um, 
that wasn't truly loving. I was doing it for sure for the show so my mom wouldn't get mad at me or whatever. It's just like, ooh, will you please help me? Will you help me have true lasting love for this person? Or will you lo help me love people unconditionally? I think that's really important. What, it, what your faith looks like as opposed to what it actually is. He said that uh, there's a story in the Bible from Ananias. Ananias? How do you say that? Ananias and Sapphira. I didn't even know they existed in the Bible. Anyway, they sold all their land and gave it, sold their land and gave it all to the community. And he, but the caveat is actually the truth is they lied. They kept a little bit for themselves and they were killed instantly. <laughs> they like, they dropped dead. God was like, eh. and so he's like, I guess that didn't go so well for them. In other words, God knows the real truth. Like, so just remember that God is with us. So he knows everything, not like Elf on the Shelf, like it's scary or scaring. It's not that. It's that he loves us all the time, no matter if we're in right or wrong, but that he can guide us because we have the Holy Spirit with us to help with that conviction, holy conviction to help us do better. <laughs> trade the appearance for being close to God. I mean, trade the appearance of being close to God for the power of actually being close to God. Don't you love that? Mm -hmm. I think that is so cool. Um, Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And remember, too, someone wise reminded me of this recently, is that it's God's calling. It's not your calling. Like, it's God's calling on your life. God is calling us to live this life. This is God's life that you've been given. This is God's table. This is God's bob. This is God's book. This is me. Like, this is his body. This is... We are glorifying God and advancing the kingdom with every opportunity that we've been given by God. So all glory and honor go to Him, not to us. And um, I think that's important to, to point out, and I love that. Trade the appearance for being close to God for the power of actually being close to God. Chapter 8, The Pizza Place. Um, he talks about Chuck E. Cheese, and he goes on this long, it's like three pages of how loud Chuck E. Cheese is, and he talks about that NASA must buy their noise from Chuck E. Cheese, and I mean, he's just so funny, and he was just like, they actually advertise with a mouse, which, why would you do that? A rat, he talks, and like, isn't that a rodent? Why would you do, I mean, he's just making fun of Ch Chuck E. Cheese. It's so funny, and he talks about how he works so hard, and he goes there with his kids. He loves Chuck E. Cheese so much. He works so hard to get all these tickets, and then he traded them in. He had like 500 or 5,000 tickets or something for, an eraser, he's like, an eraser? Or a pencil, a pencil? That's all I get for all this hard work? Like, a, a pencil? And he's like, so, stop collecting tickets. <laughs> he's like, just go out there and love everybody. Quit collecting, like, that goes in line with basically watching your motivation and also uh, unconditional love. Like, basically, we're not collecting tickets, like, well, I've given you this, and I've loved you that way, and I came over and cared for your, you know, your mother when she was sick. I mean, all these things, you're not collecting tickets, you're not trading it in, because he said, bright lights, um, well, because what you've spent your time might not be worth it, like you spend all this time collecting, and then, you know, you're going to be disappointed, why not just let it all go? Bright lights don't need spotlights. When do you overstate the good you do? I love that because sometimes he was like, God knows exactly what you're doing. You don't need to say what you're doing. For instance, in his first book, he had mentioned how he was like saving the whole country of Uganda with his love does. And he was like, wow, am I that insecure that I need to broadcast how great I am and that we're saving the whole, he's like the whole country. 
We're putting kids through, call, through school. We're helping kids. We're not. I'm overstating it a little bit. So he brings himself back down and talks about humility and how we need to be humble, but also bright lights don't need spotlights. I love that. Just be bright. Be um, humble. It's really important because if not, we'll fall. We could stumble. We lose those opportunities, I think, because God has to somehow humble us. Why not just stay humble is what I'm trying to say. Um, mistaking, me, mistakenly try to quantify. Yeah. Mistakenly try to quantify how much we love God. He wants our hearts, not our help. And I really like that because sometimes I feel like I've done this and I've done that and I've done this for God and I've helped you in this and whatever. And it's like you're trying to quantify these things or you're counting your tickets. When he's like, uh-uh, I just want to know where's your heart? Where are you? Like in the Garden of Eden, the first question to Adam and Eve when they messed up big, where are you? Like, where is your heart? So I think if we can hear that still small voice within, checking your motives, constantly checking your spirit, constantly checking your motivation. Ooh, constantly am I keeping score. Love does not keep score. That's 1 Corinthians. We know it doesn't keep a record. So quit collecting tickets. Don't need to call everything ministry. Just call it Tuesday. Like, everything you're doing doesn't have to be ministry. It doesn't have to be that I'm helping advance God's kingdom, although I've said that a lot. I, I do like that in my own terminology for myself as like a big uh, high why, but that doesn't mean I have to broadcast it to everyone. We're talking in a different way. It's not like I go to the grocery store. I'm like, I'm advancing God's kingdom, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like, I think it's important that we're not saying like my ministry is to do this and this and this always. It's okay if it is. And you state that that's one thing fine, but don't get lost in that. You can also just be living your life and just being a really becoming love. Doesn't have to be named or addressed. Imagine coming home every night and saying, "Honey, I said your name 45 times tonight I, or today. I told 50 people about you. Your husband is so creeped <laughs> out. Oh, we don't have to report that to God. He already knows. Plus, it's not that we're just mentioning God throughout. Like you don't want to be. I think that can be somewhat overdone." Remind yourself when you're tempted to boast that this is not about this is not about you. So I think a lot of people get really overwhelmed too. Like, well, how do I be a good? Uh, how do I go out and advance the kingdom? Or how do I? The Great Commission is to make disciples. Uh, you know, tell ad, advance the gospel. That is the Great Commission. But maybe I shouldn't say but. And like don't put don't make it about you it never was about you and it is not about you still today it's not about you it's about god so i think that when we make it about him in a in a way that we're taking ourselves and our ego out of it then that helps us keep our heart right from the lighthouse window um everyone hits a couple of wrong notes just keep playing your song so he learned the song when he was like Five, and it's the lighthouse from the lighthouse window, the piano song. And he, uh, this other kid that he went to the recital with is like, he said the most, he goes on in detail about how perfect this kid was and how well he practiced and how he wore his suit and how it was just absolutely perfect. He went off without a hitch. He, however, was like, and he was, he ended the recital with his head on the piano, like, oh my gosh. And he said there were a few awkward claps and he just went on and that was the day he quit piano. Later, he lived in college where he was across from the music hall, and he went in, and he 
completely nailed it. He just music memory, he came back, there was no pressure, no audience. Be sure that the pressure and the audience and the platform and the stage don't get in your way of what you're doing and um, make sure that your faith isn't hindered by that. I think that a lot of us accidentally get to that place where we forget about our humility or forget what we're even doing, like the song. <laughs> but just keep playing your song. Forget about you hitting a few wrong notes. Forget about the stage. Forget about the audience. Just absolutely play the song. Stay with it. Um, he says, are you doing recitals or are you in are you doing improv jazz? When someone needs to come into your, like when someone comes into your life and they just need a hug or they just need help, it's just jazz. You don't have to memorize something. You don't have to have it queued up. Sometimes you just need to let the Holy Spirit move you. And so when you get out of the way and quit thinking, what should I say? Say, God, how will you use me? Or what do you need from me now? What does this person need to hear? And let your heart be open and let it just flow. I think he says we should do improv jazz, which I think is really cute. Um, <laughs> because also, that's more fun, but it's more free. It's in the flow. It's living in the flow. Three green lights. So he also is a pilot. He flew, when he wrote this, he flew over, let me write it down, half a million miles that year. So he's in and out of the airports all the time. He always flies, he tries with as much as he can to get home every night for dinner with Sweet Maria. So he usually flies out for day trips. He's always home for dinner, always home with the kids. The kids never knew that he actually worked downtown in the state over. He flew out every day and came home every night for dinner. Anyway, and then he ended up getting his pilot's license. He could also fly and he did commercial. He did private and commercial because he was flying so much and doing all these talks and everything like that. Well, um, Long story short, the nickel light was out, so he got two green lights, but not the third. So he didn't know could he land. And the what's the guy in the um, house? The oh, the, uh, the traffic control. Yeah, traffic, traffic control was like, "Are you stating an emergency?" He's like, "I think I stated an emergency five minutes ago in my pants." Like, yes, you know, he didn't have that third light. And he was like, turns out it was just out. He did finally have to just land the plane. He trusted in the two things that he could, the rear wheels he knew were good. He got a green light on those. He didn't know about the nose. He's like, this could be it for me. I mean, I might be going down to my, to, this could be fatal. And it was fine. He landed fine. That's not always the case, but he said sometimes we do put too much faith in getting the green lights we want. Sometimes God does come to us and give us winks and green lights and a butterfly and a lady nose on our, a ladybug on our nose and these cute things that happen and they're sweet. He said, but honestly, you've got to trust in the green lights you've been given. There are a lot of green lights in your life that you might be ignoring because you're waiting for that one last green light or that 12th green light, or that, you know, it's like we hold back. He says, there's a good quote here. We, where is it? We bank on the, well, all opportunities with ex, come with expiration dates. So we bank on these too much sometimes and we lose opportunities because we're waiting for too many green lights. I love that because it's so true. How many times have you missed opportunities because you're waiting for that go? Just take, remember, you're not called to jump all in. You're just called to maybe put a toe in. The obedience of the Jordan River was completely like they had to take a, a toe in first before the water. What if they waited for the water to part? Is it the Jordan River or is it the Red Sea? Red Sea. Red so the Red, Red sea. sea. What, what happened at the Jordan River? 
Isn't that where they ate? The Ebenezer ate. Stones? Uh, no. No, I thought that was where John the Baptist was baptized. Okay. So either way, you know the one with the water part. That was, <laughs> that was the Red Sea. And so they had to take, put their toe in first. You have to step out in obedience. Sometimes when you've given enough green lights, you need to at least start working because who knows what the flood could open from that. God can open up any door. He can clear anything, your path, any way. So just make sure that you're not ignoring the green lights you have been given and you're not waiting on, you're not making deals with God. You know, sometimes it's like, well, if you'll give me two more, literally on the traffic, if you'll let me get there in three minutes, I'll be the best. Um, anyway, make deals with God. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay, last one, best one. Uh, that's chap- chapter 11. Jesus often uses blind spots to reveal himself to us. Uh, he talks about this guy, Lex. First of all, he talks about himself. He got this blind spot. His eye was going blind, but he was over in a country, and he started to go to like four more countries before he could come home. He went to the best eye surgeon she was like you're the smartest stupid person you're the smartest stupidest person I've ever met in my whole life I can't believe he waited this long to come to see me they've done six surgeries so far he says it's getting a little bit better but he's going blind in one eye and his friend Lex had the same series the same problem and went blind in both eyes by the time he was eight he took up track and field it's like how <laughs> and he not only just was running he took up the pole vaulting he had someone that would tell him when to jump so he had a guide or a friend that he trusted and he talks about that's a great analogy for Jesus like we know when to jump we know when we can trust and he won the whole world Olympics on or the Paralympics um, world championship this guy blind knew when to jump in fact he even took on that world championships he took a huge fall he accidentally got off course and he fell and he could have used it as and that's where our attitude comes in could have used that as his chance to think my life is so unfair i'm blind why didn't someone else i was given this this terrible you know go on and i quit i can't believe me i'm so ashamed i'm so embarrassed but he got back out there and he won the whole championship the Paralympics that's a big deal and blind why because we are he says what happens next makes all the difference so remember that when you fall and when you stumble and you do get off course that it's what happens next that makes all the difference last set best set or last set last what is it I say in my training all the time last set best set last one best one and they say that's a great track term and that's one he did and he did he won he was the best one out there um you can trust jesus's voice so just remember that that you when you're hearing him say fly 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 that you can take off you can jump and even if you do lose course you can always come back and try again three minutes at a time chapter 12 Friendships can last a lifetime, but we make them three minutes at a time. He talks about that he's in and out of airports all the time, and he made this really good friend. He's made several really good friends at the airport, just three minutes at a time, the TSA guy. But he sees three, four, five times a week, the this guy, that guy, and he made really good friends with this cute TSA um, guy, Adrian. And he just fell in love with him. They became really good friends over the years. He told him about a house he was saving up for, um, that he bought the house for his wife and she was moving in and all this. I mean, just going on and on. And finally, he knew all of his kids. He was texting his kids. Um, the wife called and she was like, Adrian's gone. And she's like, what do you mean? Let's go find him. And she's like, he died. It was just random he was pretty young only in his 60s just why and he goes rather than wondering why all the time we have to just trust god and love all the time and just 
I think we waste a lot of energy on wondering why. Why did he have to die? Why did Carol have to die? Why did Lex have to be blind? Why not just be, um, be loving and trust the process, I think? But also, too, there's one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, rather than asking where you find your identity, rather than asking why, like why is this happening, but what is my identity in Jesus? What is my identity in Christ? What is, what is my life for? What is my purpose? Going back to that purpose versus plan. Trusting the whole process and knowing that you have a purpose in this life. How am I going to respond in this time of grieving or this time of happiness or this time of growing my family or whatever it is? And I like that call a lot. Um, another kind of a why did that have to happen is this boy, Carl, who's the next story, Carl's Dive, is chapter 13. We're not held back by what we don't have, but what, what, excuse me, but what we don't use. He was this stunning athlete, the creme de la creme in his high school, all this, and he took this huge dive and he accidentally dove into this much water and ruined his spinal cord. He ended up after 40 hours, couldn't talk anymore. The spinal cord swelled so much. He could only steer his little uh, wheel care, yeah, scooter um, with a straw. Anyway, he went on to become one of the top lawyers in the whole state, several states. He went on, he's one of like, he's just record breaking in all these, uh, in law and everything. He's very smart, became a huge Christian, or huge Christian, but you know what I mean, big lover of Jesus. He learned about Jesus in college and he just went on to like love so many people. But he talks about that whole analogy of looking where you're going, because where your head goes, your body follows. And we have consequences for everywhere we look. And what we look at or what we um, think about, we bring about, right? So make sure to check your thoughts. Take every thought captive. Know where you're diving. Know what you're doing. What are you focusing on? Are you showboating around? Are you doing it? Or are you just focused on Jesus? Are you focused on God? Because remember, even in the boat, when the disciples were scared and there was a storm, when you're focused on the storm, you sink into the waves. But when you focus on Jesus, you can do miraculous things. You can walk on water. So just remember that where our head goes, your body follows. 14, land the plane. God doesn't give us all the details because he trusts us. Bob, to me, is like the best dad ever. He is so cute. He took his son, also Adam, the one from earlier, from earlier skydiving, also wanted to learn how to uh, fly a plane. He was in his senior year and he was taking all these bogus classes, like cleaning erasers and doing art or whatever. So he was like, listen, let's just put you in some really advanced classes till noon, get you out early and let's get your pilot's license. Let's do something productive with all your time. I'm like, what a cool dad. So he takes him, gets his pilot's license and he wants to do the, I guess, fly his plane too because they have a place in Canada and they have to go to it by like small plane. So to go get groceries, they have to fly the plane and go back. So they were making a grocery run. He was like, okay, that's it. It's your turn. He's like, huh? And he was just like, or no, not yet. He says, do you think I can plan and land in that there's this little tiny, very narrow place where you can land the plane? It's like, it's ice. It's a very great view, but it's hard to get into. And he was just like, should we go into the lake today? He's like, dad, what? No. And he's like, let's do it. So he flies in and to get out, you have to be at exactly 52 miles an hour to, to not run into the trees, but also to not get caught up under the 
um, water. So to, he landed it. He was like, we did it. And he was like, you'll get us out of here. And he was like, yep, you will. So he gets in. He didn't have to say all these words. Like earlier, what we were saying about um, saying things like you'll want to make sure you get to 52 miles an hour. You'll want to buckle up. You'll want to whatever. He didn't say all these things you want to do. He just sort of was like, zip. I said nothing. I knew. I trusted him to get us out of there. He knew we had to be at 52 miles an hour. I think he might have reminded him that one thing. But then besides that, he wasn't like, pull up, do this. Because that makes kids so nervous. That's how God is with us. I think he gives us total freedom and trusts us to get us out of the... He puts us in situations that challenge us, that make us grow and be even better, like be, rise to the occasion, literally. You have to sort of like rise out of these messes that we somehow get into. There are always options, not obstacles. I think if we focus on options, not obstacles, that's a great mindset rather than... And it's an attitude. It's an attitude of like, I can... What are the options I've been given here? What are the green lights I can look for? What are those confirmations? I know I've been prepared. Otherwise, me being here is confirmation that I'm prepared. Otherwise, God would have never allowed it. That alone can give us such power of like, oh, I'm good for this. I don't know how, but I'm prepared. You know what I mean? Because God trusts us. What we do with God, what we do with our love will be come the conversation we have with God. This, sorry, this chapter is chapter 15. A welcome from Walter. Walter is the greeter from Uganda. So he meets people at the um, airport to meet all these refugees. And basically, he, he made it simple. Well, let me say it like this. He said his plan for us is to love him and find people who are hungry, thirsty, naked, creepy, strangers, sick, prison (laughs) enemies, and go love them as if they were him. So that's what Walter does. And basically he greets all these people and makes them feel so loved. And he is just on fire for Jesus. He's a big lover. He gives people hugs. He's just so cute. And he said, I feel like that's how we should be, is be like Walter. Like, is it called welcome from Walter? So try to think of Walter whenever you're coming into meeting somebody or how are you welcoming people that come into your life or that are already in your life. Jesus comes to us in all different shapes and forms. You never know when you're going to meet an angel or going to meet Jesus himself. You never know. And there's like that really cute song about it too. It's like you never know when you really are walking, you're washing the feet of Jesus or you're hugging the neck of Jesus himself. It's how you treated me, Jesus said to them. You know, it's, it's really important that we remember that. The next thing is uh, what grace costs. For him, he says it costs $9.95 because he takes all these calls. In the back of his books, he puts his phone number in here. And then you can call him or text him anytime. And he said he gets, like, so many calls. And they interrupt him. And he's gotten several calls from jail, jail cells, like in, inmates or whatever. Anyway, and he, this guy, he helped him out of jail. And this cute story, it's not... But the main point is, are you the victim or the hero of your story? We've all heard that, right? Are you the victim or the victor? Are you the victim the hero? Like, oh, everyone's the hero of their own story. Or some people play the victim to everything. They're the victim of their own story. That's important. But the problem with that is it takes all the focus off of God. Remember that God is the, the focus of your story, not you. So even when you're thinking, am I the victim here or am I the... You're still kind of missing it. Eyes up, back up to God. Like, remember that this is all about God, and um, you're you're allowed to be a participant. And he talks about being in uh, that he's participating in this 
like that he's taking these calls and he's participating, but it's all for God's love. It's all for God's kingdom, but also that he was uh, Peter Pan in a play and that he was tree number four. He had no lines. He had no nothing. He wasn't the star of the show. Just remember that we're just tree number four. And he says, keep perspective. Like you're just tree number four, which I think is really cute. Um, my bucket, he talks about in chapter 17, my bucket is, uh, I'll, I'll try to hurry and get the rest of these in. My bucket is patience. The, we all need a bucket of like, what are you falling short on? And for him, it's patience. He said, I'm very impatient. I've always been go, go, go. I'm so impatient. So I started carrying around a literal bucket with me. Did you hear, did you ever read the child's story about, I guess it's this bucket or something. He talks about a child's story. He didn't name it, so I don't know. I've never heard of it, but he starts literally carrying a pail, a bucket around with him, and every time he would start feeling impatient, he would be like, I need to put more patience in my bucket. I need to fill up my bucket. <laughs> and so how is your life working for the people around you if their life is in shambles? Like, just remember, you don't have complete control of the people in your life, but you're affecting everyone you come into contact with, and you can make people's lives easier and better you know that person that you just love being around you want to be that person not that you love being around yourself but that too but that you love you know that people love being around you that you're easy going and that you're not impatient you're not making people on pins and needles how is your life working for the people around you um then he talks about being the church so he says he gets invited to a crock drop He's like, a crop drop, I'm there. So he, he didn't ask any more questions. He just went, well, it was actually a crop drop. They were bagging up potatoes and stuff that would be otherwise um, discarded because they were ugly. So they were trying to save up all these and give them to the community. And he says that people would ask him, like, well, what church do you go to? He's like, we are the church. This is our church. I go to our church. So basically getting everybody together on a common goal, like going to the crop drop, getting together, bagging up potatoes, that's... That's being our church. So just remember that he's like, it's not a sassy answer, but the point is we are the church. We're called to be the church. When two or more are gathered in his name, this is church. Like we're having church right now, but this is our church. And how are we representing our church? Because if you're a big part of this church, you know, we want to make sure that you're, it's not that you're putting on a facade, but that you're really representing it well. Like the, you have ownership, you're taking ownership. This is our church together. Um, and that Jesus prayed that we would be one, like would be unity, but unity is not sameness that we can be together, but united. And I think that's really important. I love that, that unity is not sameness, but this is our church and we're all made up of different, everything, different shapes and sizes, but that we can all be united in love. Be not afraid when you have all the power, you don't need all the words. So what if we weren't afraid anymore? It's this big thing. Basically, um, he goes to Uganda a, a lot, and he finally asked for a meeting with the chief justice of Uganda's Supreme Court. And they were like, who are you? And he was like, <laughs> basically said, kind of like he whittled it, or he, not weaseled, but you know, he somehow got in, got a message, got in with this guy, the chief justice. And they made some really great meetings. They have major problems with... Um, witchcraft there and witch doctors they have a major problem with kids like over a thousand kids get abducted per year there and they get mostly killed they are taken they they take their private parts and they use them for um like all kinds of really bad stuff 
and usually the kids don't make it. So it's like, a like for witchcraft. Yes, for witchcraft and for um, potions and stuff. For like, uh, yeah. what are those needles that you put in a doll? Voodoo. Yeah, for voodoo magic and all that stuff. Okay. So they, um, everyone's really scared of these witch doctors. And he's like, well, I don't believe in that crap anyway, and that doesn't scare me. I'm out to go get all of it. So we got the Supreme Court on, because everybody, even like the justice, the people that were trying to do good, were scared of the, the witch, because they didn't want to be the voodoo doll. You know what I'm saying? So they got so scared of this. So he got him on board that if they could find... You're not going to go pursue these people and look for them. If we find anyone, anyone that is still alive after this, if anybody makes it, then we can pursue them and take them to court and give them um, death sentence. He was like, okay, sure, I'll do it. Well, they finally, that year, they found someone, an eight-year-old, Charlie, who we'll talk about later for the rest of this day. Uh, Charlie, which this is kind of like the last bit, um, was eight years old captured by a witch doctor, taken all of his private parts off and left for dead. They leave him in the bush and they leave him out there to die. Well, he somehow lived, I guess because he was old enough, he wasn't quite a little baby. And they brought him in, they gave him a call, Bob. And he was like, I'll be right there. He got there, they sent him to trial. They put him away for death sentence. His name was Cobby or Cabby. I'll just call him Cobby, this witch doctor. Anyway, long story short, he ends up, being surprised, he was like, now I have my first real enemy. This is an enemy to me. Like, he hurt a boy I love. He hurt my Charlie. He hurt kids. He is pure evil. That's an enemy. And I'm called to love my enemies. Like, what does that even mean? And he was challenged. He ended up going to visit Kabi in the prison. And it was like a maximum security prison. There are 3,000 people in there, mostly witch doctors that they've caught. And they're just, he said, it's just pure evil. And, um... He ends up fellowshipping with him and helping him come to Christ and forgives him. Kabi goes on to lead other prison, these other guys in this maximum security prison that are all on death row. They're all death row inmates in maximum security, and they're all coming to Jesus. They're all washing each other's feet. It's the most amazing story, and he's helping them be forgiven, but then he also forgives Bob. He's like, and I forgive you, Bob. He's like, forgive me, kind of like, and he was like, he got puffed up in pride, and he realized that Cobby couldn't be forgiven if he didn't forgive also. So this whole story of forgiveness and how he forgave Cobby, but also Cobby forgave him, and how he helped him find Jesus. Then he was like, we help people that we love. He opens up this entire school for the witch doctors, Helps them learn how to read and write because often, I don't think it says this in his book, but I know uh, I've read it somewhere. It might have been in this book that when people know better, they do better. And that's just like a common saying, but it's true. It's proven by so many things. That's why a lot of the people, um, the criminals in our country right now, we have a huge problem with crime, but often it's people that didn't learn to read by, um, first, second, and third grade. If you don't know how to read by third grade, the odds of you becoming a criminal is very high. So he's teaching all these, it's a witchcraft, or it's a, it's a, witch, a school for witch doctors. Obviously they're not teaching them witch doctor stuff. They're not teaching them witchcraft. They're not doing any of that. They're, they learn how to read their ABCs and learn how to read two books, the Bible and love does. And they're able to do this. And they've even, some of these witch 
doctors have come to be on the other side, turning in other witch doctors. They've done all these stings and turning in other witch doctors and learning how that there's a better way. I think that he's doing this whole movement. If you're wondering about Charlie, this is the last thing I'll say about Charlie. He ended up getting adopted by Bob. Bob adopts him. It's the cutest thing because he didn't, his dad was long gone for a long time anyway. And after what had happened to him, his mother pretty much was very standoffish and kind of just like abandoned him basically. And he said that's often the case with a lot of kids there. Um, He went to be his legal guardian because this man, top surgeon, one of the top surgeons in all of the country, our country, um, his name is Randy, heard about what happened at the Love Does, heard about Charlie, heard, and calls Bob and is like, because his number is so easy to find, <laughs> calls Bob and is like, I can help Charlie. I can fix his parts. I can take, he said he drew it on a napkin. I can take parts from his legs and certain veins, wow. and I can actually replace those parts. He was just like, I mean, this will probably cost millions. Like, how could I possibly? I don't know. And he was just like, I'll do it. I just want to do it for Charlie. And they completely did it free of charge. And all the staff and everything, there's a, there's a, um, for abused kids, there's a foundation that helps kids that, that need repairs from these kind of things. And he talks about what love um, what God creates, he can restore. And he created Charlie and he restored Charlie. Of course, he'll never be able to be a father. They weren't able to repair as everything, but he can do everything else. Like he has parts. He won't be made fun of when people find him. He was able to still, I mean, isn't that incredible? It's amazing. And so I just think it's really a great story. And one last thing about Charlie on their 10th birthday, all of his kids, so now he has four kids, Charlie being the youngest. Lindsay was the first, and she cho- on their 10th birthday, he get, they get to take a trip with Dad. And uh, Lindsay chose London. Richard chose, uh, I don't know where it is, but some d- dome, the, let me tell you, the dome, it's called Climbing the Half Dome. Do you know what that is? Anyway, Climbing Half Dome is what he chose. Adam, of course, the real adventurous one, chose riding across the desert on dirt bikes. Oh, I mean, this is a 10-year-old. Charlie chose Kilimanjaro. I want to climb Kilimanjaro. Oh, so they go to the top. He's like, just remember, if nothing else, to climb to great heights. He says, big love takes us to high places. If you'll follow your guide, just remember that Jesus is your guide. He goes, all I did was I looked at the back of my guide's shoes. And if you went over a rock, I went over a rock. If you went around a rock, I went around a rock. Even if I wanted to go over the rock or around the rock, it didn't matter. I did whatever my guide did. I followed my guide and that got me to the top. I mean, it's like 40 miles up and down, y'all. Up in the highest, like so high. Charlie made it to his personal summit. And it wasn't quite the top, but he's 10 and just recovering from a major surgery. He says, I never, oh, and by the way, if you bump into anything, you bump into your guide. You're you're following that close. If you stumble, you'll just bump into your guide. Like in other words, keep Jesus that close that you go over a rock, you go around a rock. And if you trip, you stumble into Jesus himself. That's how close you are to your guide, the shepherd. I love that. Slow down, have patience, enjoy the journey and at the bottom, when they, his personal summit, he had, let me see how many. I think he had nine or 10 medals for Charlie. 
and he gave him all these medals and he spoke truth and affirmation and love over Charlie. You are so courageous. You are so strong. You are so, all these things. It's just like, can you imagine getting 10 medals? You went up and he says, don't tell people how far they'll go. Don't talk about their potential. He never told Charlie, I want you to go to the top of the mountain. He said, I want you to do the best you can. At the end, he said, look how far you've come. So remember to tell people that you come into contact with, look how far you've come. Never tell them what they did or their mistakes or shame them or look at, don't mention all that. Look how far you've come. You are courageous. You are brave. You are an overcomer. You are an achiever. You are, you are glorious. Whatever, just speak truth and affirmation of these people and remind them how far they've come. So with that, we'll close with prayer. God, thank you so much for Bob Goff and his family and for Charlie and for rescuing Charlie. Thank you for um, what your love does in our lives. Thank you for helping us become love. And thank you for this time here today. Thank you for showing up and showing off. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, let me turn this off and then we'll talk about any qu- questions you might have.